Time once again for T. Watson TR on the Bama Online Podcast. It is the first edition of the month of April 2023. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL alongside Tim Watts, Site Publisher. Tim, the first, we have the first Tuesday in April of the new year, and uh, that means a couple of things. we got baseball now in full swing. We've got Masters Week. I know that one really fires you up. Come around a little bit to the pro golf, though, so... Uh, big week if you are a golf fan, but football, certainly when we talk about the capstone, spring practice, first spring scrimmage of spring drills coming up on Friday, Alabama, of course, Easter Sunday coming up, so moves things up a little bit. Uh, we're going to start right there. We're going to get into the Mason Short commitment also for the class of 2025 in the mailbag, of course, coming up a little bit later in the program. But I wanted to start with football, Tim, and maybe the one area of this Alabama football team that you are most anticipating getting some feedback on after Friday's scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, you know, the offensive line is something I've been following the closest. I know, you know, you kind of see, you know, you've heard Reese come in, you know, he's going to, you know, you know, he's going to run the ball a little bit more. We're seeing some of those guys that we, you know, we've heard so much like Elijah Pritchett, the big fan of his, coming out of high school. You know, Latham staying on the right side, Dow Court working in at guard. So, um, really interested to see what that first team offensive line, uh, uh, offensive line looks like. And then, of course, I'm I'm excited about the linebackers. Tresman Marshall, I've been hearing good things about him. I know he looks the part just based on the on the photos, but I, you know, linebacker, I think to me, offensive line, those are two things I really want to see. Um, I do enjoy, I know probably like you, I watch those uh, three or four minutes of video we get. I watch them several times, have a roster out trying to figure out who is who, <laughs> but um, so that's pretty exciting. I mean, that, those videos back in the day, I felt weren't watched nearly as much as they are now. Cause that's the only taste we're getting. Yeah. I remember in the Shula era, we really introduced practice video to the the internet um we were able to get that going back around 05 or 06 man and back in the day when it was almost dial up and stuff like that i would spend like three hours just trying to get three minutes of video up onto the website but you're right with the media viewing periods uh, still not in play for alabama football everything is dissected i agree on the offensive line i don't know how you couldn't consider it outside of quarterback and by the way we are hitting on areas other than the quarterback position obviously um you couldn't be hyper focused on because you said it so many moving pieces in play it seems like darian dahlcourt with so many starts under his belt at center it makes sense as a fifth-year guy to give him a look inside along with seth mclaughlin uh, at that guard center combination uh, you said it with Pritchett and the potential for him at the left tackle position. Uh, you've got some young guys, too, uh, it looks like, in this recruiting class, maybe in addition to Caden Proctor that, that need to be uh, given some attention here. And then defensively, I'm with you, man. Justin Jefferson, uh, Trez Marshall at those inside linebacker positions, and really the safety spot you can consider in that, too, Tim, because – Losing both starting safeties, losing your nickelback, who was also one of your top safeties, and Brian Branch, one of your top all-around football players, if not your top all-around football player. So guys like Christian Story, guys like uh, Caleb Downs, guys like, um, well, Malachi Moore, right? I mean, these are guys that you're looking to step up there. Yeah, Earl Little. I'm really excited to see him. Love mm-hmm. him out of high school, heard 
really good things early on before the injury. A lot of positive uh, stuff around here, kind of like not physically, but not the same as Pat Sertain physically, but kind of mentally. You got that same vibe from him as a work ethic, ethic and, and and the background. So really excited about him. And uh, we didn't mention Olus. We're hearing Olus's name. All the One time. of those young linemen. Yeah. This guy. What was, I mean, he was just, Monster. He was yeah. in high school just, just a, you know, just a few months ago. This guy's in high school. And now, you know, you're seeing some first team reps, I believe. And. Uh, you know, a big kid and, you know, one of the more entertaining guys in the class and a big win uh, on the recruiting trail. But, yeah, I mean, for me, that's what stands out. The first two are the offensive linemen, just because, you know, it takes a couple of years often to see some of these guys uh, get a chance to play. And then all of a sudden you added these true freshmen in the mix who are competing. It's unbelievable. And also the linebacker position. I mean, I have I like Henry Toa Toa probably more than other people did. Um I mean, I'm sorry, more than some did. I know that he was limited physically. I thought he was a he was a smart football player and a good hard hard football player. But I'm really excited to see what these other guys bring to the table. Justin Jefferson, uh, you know, probably not as big but fast. And of course, again, Tresman Marshall, who everyone I've talked to says if he can stay healthy. That's all. That's really everything's good after that point. But it's if he can stay healthy is where we start. And then after that, everything's good. So. Um, again, he certainly looks the part out there, doesn't he? Yeah, that most recent practice video to Robert Bala coaching those inside linebackers. That's also things I like. I saw some finishing on the ball carrier at the point of attack and not just tackling guys, but an emphasis on sending guys backward, right? Yards after contact, broken tackles, missed tackles. Let's be honest, for a veteran defense last year, that was more problematic than any of us probably anticipated. So spring is very much a time for fundamentals. And it looks like Bala, Saban, Kevin Steele, that defensive staff really across the board. And you kind of have to, though, don't you, with all these newcomers, even if you were veteran team by most standards in the era of the transfer portal, you, you, you got to coach up these guys uh, because you got so many new guys out there. Yeah, and I agree. And there's a difference between stopping a ball carrier and bringing a ball carrier down. You know, bringing them down two or three yards after you hit him. Stopping him means, you know, like Reggie, you know, one of the guys I always loved to watch do it was Reggie Ragland. Several times, even in the NFL, it was like hitting a brick wall with Reggie. You know what I mean? It was like. Ruben Foster. Yeah. Ruben, yeah. Rolando. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, they were running through you. And Reggie would do that too. But Reggie was just like. This is it. You hit a brick wall, <laughs> you know, the yardage stops here. And it was just like dropped to the ground. But, yeah, those guys coming through you, tackling through you, inflicting pain. Um, I think you see, you know, a lot more of that, especially with a guy like Kevin Steele. I mean, it, you know, his detractors or whatever can say what they want. But this is an old school guy that's coached a lot, a lot of uh, uh, football in his life, especially at the linebacker position. And I think everybody's agreed that linebacker play has been one of the weaknesses on this team. By the way, although we're not talking about quarterbacks. We're going to uh, talk about the quarterback. I'm going to talk. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I love about Alabama fans. I kind of hate them, too. But I love Alabama fans because the smallest thing can set off an absolute. Milro with that dime. One, one pass. One pass. And I, <laughs> I saw a debate. A very heated debate. I'm telling you, that quarterback position at Alabama, I mean, it's been that way since I've been in this business. It's this way when I was before I was in this business and just a fan. I remember arguing about this with friends. But that one dime just set it off, you know, and it was 
It was it's over. Uh, Done. Yeah, you know, and I had one guy that DM me, and he's like, I've never seen so much drama around a leaked uh, play. And I said, it's not leaked. The universe, <laughs> the football account tweeted it out. It's not the Julio Jones play from that scrimmage in the 2008 uh, fall camp. Remember that one? Geez, yes. That's, that, that was, yeah. That, that was, was like special effects, that, right? Julio was always that way. You know, we got pictures of him, and I was there when he – had the seven on seven in Hoover, dude. And I'm telling you, it was, I mean, it was above his waist was that the guy's head catching a one-handed pass in a seven on seven for no reason. I mean, no reason to be risking life and limb for that play, but he was, so he was a different animal. But yeah, the quarterback, I'm looking forward to this because I think it's going to extend. And I think the lack of, of visual with these guys, I mean, we haven't seen a lot of Jalen Milrow. I mean, he, you know, he was in one game, he's tossed in a game, and, you know, the Arkansas game, there was no game plan around him whatsoever. You know, Texas A&M, he struggled in areas, and we haven't really seen Ty Simpson. So, but I'm, you know, even though we're not talking about it, I am excited about it. And in all seriousness, here's to Jalen Milrow having a hell of a spring, having a hell of a fall camp, and those kind of throws that we saw in one clip translating into the season, because that just makes Alabama all the better for it. Um, but there's no doubt. Yeah, it's the the limited exposure we all have right now to practices and the football team in general. And so you kind of anticipate those reactions. And that's why the immediate time right after the A-Day game uh, will be hyper overreaction. And we'll probably all contribute to that. But you know, we're talking positions. We haven't really talked one that could be very interesting. I think we've talked about it on other shows, but the running back position. Yeah, I don't think that's clear. I think Jay certainly is going to get the early, early nod. But I think there's some talented guys behind him that are really going to push to carry the ball. Um, Roy Dell's, you know, kind of, I don't know if you call it a make or break year, but it kind of is his, his chance to really step up. And then, you know, Miller, the freshman, um, there's a lot of competition at that position. You know, I tell you, the one guy that's going to get advantage is whoever catches that ball the best out of the backfield, he's going to have a special role carved out for him right out of the gate. Uh, and that very well could be Justice Haynes. Could be. Yeah. And if you're one of these veteran backs also, you should be advanced in pass protection at this point. If you're Roydell Williams or Jace or uh, even a second-year guy like Jam Miller, uh, and you need to you need to show that each and every rep because that's usually where you anticipate the younger backs, like you said, between catching the football and protecting the quarterback, that's typically where they have the most ground to cover. Just look at Derrick Henry back in 2013 for more on that. Coming out of Uly High School, they just direct snapped the damn ball to Derrick, which was smart. Hey, I, I got no problem with that game playing in high school. Um, you know, if, if I'm the, the coach of Derrick Henry, that, that makes plenty of sense. But uh, there are intricacies to the running back position that, uh, running backs these days, though, especially guys like Justice Haynes that come from programs that are advanced in terms of concepts and scheme and things like that, they show up more and more uh, better equipped for that part of the position as well. Hey, we were talking about we were talking about linemen too, and I know it's for 2025, but a nice pickup for Alabama now, looking ahead to that class two years from now. Uh, really nice start when you consider the other guy, well, the guy, I guess you could say, that joins Mason Short in this class. But the big lineman, Mason Short from Evans, Georgia, in the Augusta, Georgia area. Tim, your initial thoughts on his commitment to the Crimson Tide? You know, I think you saw this coming. I mean, he had been uh, 
to Alabama several times. I know Alabama felt good about him. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you hear they're in good shape, but, you know, it kind of drifts away after a couple of months. Um, but with a guy, I mean, he, he's been to Alabama three, maybe uh, two or three, four times since September. He camped that, there last year. And the one thing that stood out to me is at camp, he was getting some pretty good praise from some of the people I was talking to as far as his performance, how strong he was, uh, especially considered he was basically three grades removed at the time last year. So um, uh, a big guy, obviously, you know, a lot of the film I've seen is uh, is pass protection. And um, he's got good flexibility. He's up like, again, he's a big guy. I'm not sure he's six, seven that like he's listed in 24 seven, seven database. I think he's closer to six, six. It's my understanding is he measured at a camp, but again, 2025, Eric Wolford, the one thing I say, and he's got it, he's got a type, you know, he's got a, you know, we all, <laughs> we all got our types in certain areas, but this is a big kid, especially for his age. Um, has taken a lot of it. It's one thing I like is when I when I talk to people, they said they he he took this very serious. This isn't some rush to uh, to run out and get a commitment behind him. I mean, he has taken. I mean, look at his timeline. I mean, he's been you know he's been to Florida State, he's been to South Carolina, he's been to several places. Obviously, he's been to Alabama, so he's taken plenty of visits. Uh, even though it's young in his career, so. Certainly put some uh, some uh, some thought and effort into it, and had the plan the family behind him. I know after he committed, we couldn't get him on the phone right away. Hank eventually got him, but him and his family went out to celebrate. So good for them, yeah. Yeah, went out to celebrate, took a moment to enjoy it. So always always like to hear that. Yeah, a guy on tape when you watch him left tackle predominantly uh, as a sophomore, watching his tape there at Evans High School, and efficient with his footwork, shows some good pad level and bend for a guy who, as you said, if he isn't 6'7", he's still a good 6'5", 6'6". You like the frame at 280-ish pounds, a guy that, who knows, right, the way things evolve so quickly with these big human beings at such young ages these days. He could be 305 the next time he weighs, for all we know, but uh, good-looking young lineman. And, uh, well, you think about Ryan Williams, Marty, in that 2025 class, as I said earlier. Not a bad start. Not a bad one-two punch. Not at all. You know, you get that class going. And the, I think, you know, obviously the biggest thing for Alabama most of the time is to see him in camp. So the 2025s uh, are guys that have camped. So you got to feel good that, you know, you're, they've laid eyes on them. Um, and they know, you know, they know what they want when they're recruiting these guys. I mean, they've got half as, I mean, there's only got four 24 commitments. They got two 25 commitments. So, uh, the, uh, the world is changing a little bit. What about hoops, Tim? Because, uh, we've seen some movement with this Alabama roster. No doubt about that. Namari Burnett, as we already know, has landed at the university of Michigan. Uh, there was anticipated movement, both comings and goings. Uh, already went to the portal for a, a promising player uh, from Wichita State. And uh, what were your thoughts on some of that that early interaction uh, with Alabama and Nate Oates and the transfer portal? Yeah, I think it's to be expected. Um, you know, you know, I know the the Burnett situation. You get this with Alabama. You've got guys that have, you know, they want to carve out bigger roles. Ryland Griffin is one, I think. I think. You know, overall, you're okay. You know, coming in slowly as a freshman when you've got all those guards, and Alabama certainly had guards, and Ryland was pretty much the same position as as uh, as Brandon in a lot of ways, just a wing guard, a shooter. 
Um, didn't do the same things, but kind of that Brandon could take a lot of his minutes. So, but now with Brandon gone, you see guys like that wanting to step up. You know, Jaden Bradley's going to fact could factor in when Quinterly comes back. So there's a lot of roster movement uh, still out there. You got Mediaco who's declared for the draft. You know, we had Nuggets last night saying, you know, but this could always change because you know you go to have a good workout, some team guarantees they'll take you. But I think, you know, Betty Yako's expected to come back next year. I would, I think it would surprise a lot of people if he didn't. Um, so in the portal, they are. You know, they've obviously got um, you know, the Wichita State kid. Jaquan Walton coming yeah, in. Yeah. They've already got him committed. So there's a lot of names out there. There's a lot of interest in Alabama. But, you know, as I posted in the Nuggets, I mean, you come down to the uh, – a lot of this is NIL related. I mean, I was talking to three assistants at different three different programs, and they said some, you know, and it's not surprising, but some kids left where they were happy just to hit the portal to get a bigger NIL. So, um, you know, some are going to get massive NILs, and I think Alabama probably wouldn't be as involved with those guys as some other, you know, as other teams would. Also, they're looking to fill, you know, two more spots probably with possibly a third opening it up. So there's still going to be a lot of roster change, you know, before, before we did this, I was pulling up the, uh, the men's men's Lord. Now I'm saying men's women's basketball is in my brain. They, uh, I pulled up the preseason rankings for next year, ESPN, and they had Alabama number 11. And again, it's going to be, it's going to be quite a, quite impressive. They got UConn number one, Kentucky four, um, they had Alabama at 11, Arkansas at 12. So it's going to be a, a, and that's where they stand now. Also found it interesting they had the Aggies at 17, but Alabama's already bordered on that top 10, and still a lot of stuff left left to be determined. Yeah, and I, that's where I've seen Alabama kind of in that range when we talk about way too early preseason top 25s for the 2023-2024 season. Kind of, as you said, kind of in that 11 to 15 range, it seems like. But still, as you also pointed out, so much to happen with so many rosters around college basketball. And Walton certainly looks and reads to be the kind of player Alabama would pursue. He's a former Shelton State Buccaneer. He's been to, uh, in a SEC program previously, like the University of Georgia, has that link, can shoot the three. So, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And as Tim said, he has his basketball nuggets on the roundtable right now at BamaOnline.com. That's premium information. Check it out. Tim Watts with the basketball nuggets. I guess that was uh, kind of late night, Tim Watts, uh, when that yeah, went up that yesterday. Was, that was heading into the uh, NCAA tournament. No NBA. So did some, made some calls. Um and uh, came up with a few things. There's still a lot. That's still, you know, you know, of course, it's a running joke on the roundtable, but it is fluid. I mean, a lot of things could affect dominoes. I mean, a could, lot of teams. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are still, you know, in play and a lot of options still out there in the portal. I mean, so many guys in the portal, you know, right now, so many guys and so many interested in Alabama. So. Um, I do. Find and I mean, it, it makes absolute. I mean, it makes absolute sense for a guy like Betty Ako to get the feedback. Oh, without I, representation. I mean, you you kind of be absolutely reckless not to do that. It's it's the smartest thing a guy like that can do with that opportunity. So, man, it's amazing too because what 15 20 years ago, Betty Aka would have been a, a valued guy in the NBA back then, but it is such a different game now as we know and um, you know, we'll see how that goes for Charles, but 
absolutely a smart decision to see what the NBA has to say about his status as he heads into potentially his third year at Alabama. Cause them to do their due diligence, first of all. Um, so they're having to look into you and check because that's what the NBA is going to do. And then you have to turn around after that and you what you've succeeded in is putting your name on the radar. So this time next year, when you've got the scout, the GM or whoever, and that name comes across, they're not Googling that name. They've got, and of course they don't Google, they've got information on this, but they've got that due diligent report where they really looked into it so they know a little bit more about him. But um, yeah, it's an interesting year for Alabama. You know, expect this draft is going to be interesting. Um, obviously, Clowney has said he's uh, he's uh, he's headed to the NBA. He's one that's going to be the most interesting to me. I don't think, you know, he got heavy first round feedback, and um, uh, that I mean that doesn't always mean anything, but it is. You know, it's pretty pretty, pretty good gauge. And Alabama guys have had a fair amount of consistency. Like JD Davidson was told he's not going to go in the first round. Uh, Josh Primo knew he was. Colin Sexton knew he was. Um, Kyra Lewis knew he was. So there's been a pretty good consistency there. But with Clowney, it to me it's it's very interesting because I still you know I can still see a team because he's got all that time. You know he's got mm-hmm. time to work on his jumper. Obviously wasn't super consistent with it this year. I think he's going to be a better shooter down the road once that's all he does is shoot uh, shoot basketball all day. Um, and I think he could go into a workout and get hot and have some team really, really, you know, fall in love with his game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it made absolute sense for him to go ahead and take but, the plunge. Obviously, Brandon Miller projecting as a top three type of pick. Uh, you got a glue guy and Noah Gurley moving on. Dom Welch uh, didn't really get to see him reach his full potential, largely due to injury issues. Uh, and as we said earlier, Namari Burnett moving on via the transfer portal as well. What do you think about, uh, you know, we talked about this after the first weekend of the tournament, and we kind of asked each other if there was a team other than Alabama after that first weekend that you thought was next up, who would it be? And I felt UConn pretty strongly at that point. And I'll tell you how dominant UConn was in this tournament. Dan Hurley was able to play his son, Andrew, in all six games. He's a (laughs) walk-on. And so that was sort of the margin to defeat for UConn in those six games that it freed up Dan to play uh, young Andy there in the uh, late stages of those games. Yeah. I mean, that was a team. I mean, it, it's, it's, I didn't see them as much during the season. What I saw them was in their tournament, uh, basically in their tournaments. I saw them in their Christmas tournaments. Um, I saw them in, uh, uh, in the NCAA tournament, their conference tournament. I thought when they beat Alabama, they look like as good a team in the country as you're going to find simply because they were defensive and they're big, man. That big guy just changes the game. You know what I mean? They had everything around them. And then you have a big that changes the game. And then you saw them cruise through this tournament um, pretty comfortably. Uh, you know, that game last night, they, you know, they, they San Diego state, Hey, they were lively. You know, they were competitive. I think that experience is what Nate Oates wants. Cause I think with a team like San Diego state, you saw how important it was. You saw them making clutch shots and beating teams that might have been more talented than them as far as, you know, NBA guys and stuff like that. But, man, that experience, those guys were just clutch. Even last night making that run, cut it down to six, I believe. And yeah. Yeah, cut it down to six, you know, to get you know get it there. But UConn was just a, you know, UConn was just a monster, you know. And, but, you know, what a tournament. I mean, if you're 
not really, you know, if you're just a like, like a fan of the game of basketball and don't really get into all these colleges or it's your first tournament watching, probably was a fantastic one. I mean, for for a lot of people, the, the teams in the Final Four were just a weird combination of names. It's not that they weren't a good basketball team, but I think most knew they were good basketball teams for the, the most part. They certainly, Florida Atlantic, if you don't think they were good at the end of the year, you know what I mean? Those were those were, that was a really good. Yeah, match. and you're you're seeing FAU in some preseason too early, way too early top fives for next season now. Yeah, People kind of figured it out. That's what we that's what they do. I mean, that's what we do. We we get excited about last year and more worried mm-hmm. about this year. But I, they definitely were a top five looking team to me this year. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a very complete team, very competitive. Uh, did so many things right. So um, and again probably will be a pretty decent option in the portal. And these coaches already have went to the portal, uh, San Diego State, FAU. So they already got a little bit of advantage with the transfers that other teams might not have. But um, it was pretty exciting, I mean, the season uh, overall. I mean, I know Alabama fans are disappointed, but, I mean, I'm just I'm disappointed as an Alabama fan. I mean, I've, I thought this was a team set up to, to go to the Final Four. But, again, I don't think when you – if you take off those seedings beside those guys, I think that that you see this team. I mean, San Diego State could have been a two seed in hindsight, right? So if mm-hmm. you the two seed, it's not that big a deal. Also, Alabama lost. We're down two with 30 seconds left, and they played absolutely their worst offensive game of the year, right? So yeah, I, I would say. Well, Oklahoma was pretty pretty bad. Travis, too. we don't um, talk about Oklahoma. Nobody. That is just like a bad. I mean, like literally. That never I, happened. Yeah. I forgot that game happened. Like, like. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Football? I was like, go just straight. Like that game, just like it happened early on the. Saturday. I guess. I guess the point is, I felt like San Diego State had more to do with Alabama's performance in that game Fair. than Oklahoma did. Oh, you know, yeah. Alabama was just Alabama. bad. Oklahoma. Bad in that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely. That's yeah. That's definitely true. Um. Uh, but I don't think Alabama played near even its you know 50% best game and still was within two against a team yeah. that battled in the finals. So that's not to take anything away from San Diego State or any of these teams. I was impressed. I thought the teams in the Final Four showed they deserved to be there, even San Diego State. I mean, they make it to mm-hmm. the finals. FAU held their own. You know, Connecticut was a buzzsaw, and they were competitive. So, um not much talk about the – I mean, the women's have Final Four dominated the discussion, didn't it? Yeah, they had a peak viewership of their national championship game at 12.5 million viewers. That's and that's- uh, look, you know, a lot of controversy about the Angel Reese actions of the you can't see me to Caitlin Clark. And I know, you know, it's unfortunate that it devolves into – discussion that doesn't have anything to do with just basketball that's kind of where we're at but for women's basketball if we're being honest especially this is all a huge win because what are people doing right now tim are you kidding me i looked up this morning and uh jill biden said they should invite both teams and no said, jill that i saw that, that but that's, we said that's, off that's, enough. That's, no 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 i don't think she's right i'm saying the massive discussion today i know and, and, is still, so. and, and and she's wrong about that, but you're right. It's, lo- people you know, are still talking about it. You yeah. Know, the losers to the White House. You yeah. Know, I, 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 I'm glad Jill enjoyed the game and, and, and thought so much of both teams, but LSU is the champion. That's it. Yeah. 
There's no, they I are the champion. And I think, you know, maybe she's got that mom mentality, you know, like. When I my, think that's what it is. Like when my kids played Little League, everybody was a winner. And after they lost sometimes, and, you know, the dads were like, you know, are you kidding me? And, you know, mom's like, everybody's a winner. And we're, yeah. whether or not we clearly lost or the other team clearly lost. So I think that mentality stepped in. But I'm just talking about the fact they're still discussing it. And sure. I don't have major issues with the you can't see me. Um, no. I mean, I wouldn't have did it, you know, if I was Caitlin. Clark and um, Angel Reed certainly did it back. She did it extensively. I mean, I've seen the full cut. Yeah, she tracked her down around she the court spot, doing I mean, it. That's, yeah. that's where the thing where I get. But where, where's the technical foul? Where are the officials I while this is going on? She followed yeah. her around the court. She did it, and then she did the ring thing. So definitely, yeah. some, you know, at that stage, you don't care. That's, that's not that's not celebrating. There's there's a yeah, point where taunting. And there's a technical to be called for that. Day, and, that's that's a quick and shoot in the SEC. That's a quick tech. Yeah. We call technicals less than that. But then again, the game is over, and all that. And I don't fault Angel Reese for doing. I didn't fault Caitlin no. for doing it. I watched no. basketball and taunting and celebrating and all that's a big part of it. I'm not a fan of taunting. Well, the refs in that women's final were terrible anyway, right? I, I mean, watch it. The only NBA, the only W, uh, the girls' game I saw. And forever, I saw South Carolina in Iowa. That's the game I watched. That was a hell of a game. Uh, Caitlin Clark went for 41. Yeah, I was just yeah. curious. I really wanted to see her. I'd never seen her play. And I wanted to Well, you know, there's some people that say we need to lower the basket for the women. But we had a hundred we had 187 points in the final, you know. They're not they mean I might need to raise it. They were like yeah. up. I mean but the South Carolina yeah. Iowa game was interesting. I saw, um, yeah, and there was, you know, Caitlin Clark in that game was pretty disrespectful. I mean, she, oh, she waved off the, the South girl, Carolina guard. About yeah. you know, the one thing I'll say about all of this is that Caitlin Clark didn't say it was wrong or it was classless. She just said, "Hey, you know, she's a great team. It's a it's a great team, yeah. great coach." And moved on. She didn't seem particularly offended by it. So I'm. Hey, if you're taunted and not offended, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to. You know this, Tim. Players tend to handle stuff like that way different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than everybody else, they consider it within the game. I mean, absurdity. Like I'll tell you this. You know, LeBron. You know, Pat Beverly, Patrick Beverly, did the too short to LeBron last week. Did you see that? <laughs> I did but see that. Yeah, dude, it's the most insane thing you've ever seen. So you know that they do that. You're too short. They they lower their hand to about six inches above the ground, like you're too small. Yeah, uh, it's not too short, too small. Well, Pat did this little move and hit a hit a you know a six foot little shot in the lane on on LeBron, and then he held his hand down <laughs> and taunted it. I mean, it was the you know, the Lakers played them next week and got zero points. So <laughs> I see this stuff, you know, rock the baby, yelling at the crowd. You know, I see this a lot, standing over them. I but it's usually like a one or two second gesture. You know, it's not a follow someone around the court during a dead ball no, for 15 seconds. Is, is Draymond Green, and I wouldn't say he's taunting. I think he's trying to fight you. So I think she did it. I'll tell you this. I'm not convinced – that Angel Reese isn't really smart at getting her name out there. I mean, she's got almost 900,000 followers on Instagram. And and being associated with Caitlin Clark, who is the name in that yeah, sport I right just, now? I think. Why not? 
Yeah. I was looking this up, you know, and I felt like I was in the movie Eight Miles. She was saying, I'm too hood. I'm too ghetto. And I looked up. She went to a private school and she took ballet and swimming as a kid. She's a Bayou Barbie. They call her down there. Yeah. So I think that she's been even if she's playing the villain, it's going to pay yeah. off her really well. The her, problem is if Caitlin Clark stays in college for another year, she's not going to be able to associate that with the hottest name in women's basketball. I mean, the unfortunate side of all this is that this past weekend was the pinnacle for women's basketball. The WNBA, Tim, doesn't come close yeah, to touching gonna... what that final four was. That And that's unfortunate because you'd like to see the women go on and have those opportunities on the biggest of stages at the professional level. But there's a reason why Brittany Griner was detained in, Ru- detained in Russia. It's because they pay a lot more to women to play basketball in Russia than they do in the United States. And that's not a statement about anything other than that's the facts of the matter right now. So, you know, you're right. Maybe Angel Reese can turn this into sort of a continued windfall. The sustainability is what I wonder about, because in actuality, if Caitlin Clark comes back for another year at Iowa, which she should, then she's going to continue to be the biggest name in the sport. Did the girls go hardship? Do they? I don't even think they. Uh, The women will. Yeah, there's there's women that that come out for the WNBA draft. But mostly, again, it's because of opportunities abroad. Right. It's not for I didn't know if they uh, for WNBA money. Yeah, the WNBA money for the most part pales considerably to the money that the the women make uh, overseas. So it was an interesting stretch, no doubt about it. Uh, to the victor goes the spoils. Hey, Angel Reese, Kim Mulkey, LSU made the investment in Mulkey and uh, were awarded in year two with a, a little, national a little, title. I was reading a little thing that said they're expected to lose multi-million dollars for winning the championship. They probably will. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality, too. Million dollars, right? so. Uh, but they, they also, you know, it, 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 it's not like they're uh, the University of New Haven, right? I mean, they're still LSU, and there's still value to that university in being in that place. And, and people talking about it. But, no, just in terms of revenue and, and things like that, even though they sell out the PMAC now on regularity, um because the TV money just isn't what it is for the men's tournament, certainly. Uh, they they don't have that that at, not yet, but I, I think I think the TV numbers from this Final Four and the growing TV numbers are going to help them moving forward. It's it's not going to happen overnight though. No. All right, we talked about this more than I have. Let's move to SEC baseball. SEC baseball. You want to talk some Alabama baseball following the Crimson Tide's latest series loss? Very frustrating team to watch. I mean, it's you feel like they're three and six in the conference. I mean, you don't feel like it, you know it, but you kind of get that feel that like five and four was the basement, what they should be. And I think some would argue six and three. And the leaders in the conference are six and three in the West Division. LSU's at six and three, Arkansas's at six and three. Um, you know, this is this is a this is a chance to compete. And it's been three really good teams, but when you watch them, you kind of see like some games are just great. They just you know you know scoring big runs, holding guys down, which is what they did in the Arkansas game. But there's a tendency to see Alabama take a lead, give the lead up, take the lead back, blow the lead, and then lose late. Uh, you know, way too often. Um, you know, when you're watching them. Yeah, it's been an ongoing theme. There's no doubt about it. Just 
close games in general, one-run games in general, unfortunately for Brad Bohannon, haven't been very friendly to him in SEC play uh, during his tenure. But, hey, Alabama at three and six in the league, at least you're not Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now in the West. What the hell's going on with those programs? Win national championships and you go one and eight, both one and eight right now in the SEC, which tells you how tough this league is, right? Um, but Alabama's still not in the worst of shape uh, with at least getting a game from those first three series. That's a key, it seems like, in this league, Tim, If just avoid getting swept and then you know pick up some series, uh, especially at home, as best you can. Yeah, I mean, I look over here, you know, the, the East is definitely not where you want to be. You had South Vanderbilt at 9-0, South Carolina at 8-1, which is interesting. I didn't know South Carolina was so good until this weekend. Um, when I Back in the day, before I got in this business, when I was doing stuff on television for Fox Sports, they were, they were you know, they, Ray Tanner had a really fantastic program. Back um, to back, yeah. yeah. I haven't really heard from them as much this year, but you see them at 8-1, Kentucky 8-1. Florida seven and two, but I did find it interesting that Tennessee's four and five. I know they played some tough teams, lost two or three at LSU, but they were preseason. I don't know if they were one, but they were definitely a preseason top three. And um, I saw the game Thursday. Now I don't can't understand why do some SEC teams play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and other ones play Friday, Saturday. Sunday. I think it's I think it's TV, uh, you know, SEC that network. Is. I was curious. Yeah. LSU played Thursday. And the mock draft I saw, and you know I'm a fantasy baseball player, they had the top three guys in a mock draft playing, two pitchers, and then LSU had a had a had a, uh, a I think he's a center fielder, but I mean definitely lived up to the hype as a good game. I found it interesting. LSU two to two gets an error. They get a runner on first, and you know how this ends up. They get mm-hmm. a throw to first, the guy gets on, they end up loading the bases and they get a three run double. And LSU just covered the field in trash. <laughs> I've never seen like I've never seen you get something good happen in baseball, and you cover you throw crap all over your field. I've never it's a new tradition. Well, never, the the bleachers at Ole Miss on the home runs, it's the beer showers, right? But those stay limited for the most part. I want to say to those berms out there. I think it was probably the I think it's probably the students. You know what I mean? But oh yeah, uh, I I sure don't want to think it was grown men. But I just found it odd because you know I'm watching most of my sports on mute. They get that, and I said, nice, and I look up, and they're cleaning the field. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, you know, what did they uh, – I did send our buddy Shay Dixon from the LSU side at on three that used to be with us at 24-7. He went to that game, had a good time, and saw those guys. So, uh, SEC baseball, I mean, with Bama, I mean, we have a great discussion on the roundtable. Uh, we have some very avid baseball fans, um, some guys that love it. But, um, yeah, it's been heartbreak city for them. And even with that said, I mean, they're three and six, and the top two guys in the West are six and three. Now, they are LSU, who I believe is number one in the country, or was. And then you got Arkansas, also a really good team. Um, Yeah, you look at the three series that Alabama's had in the SEC so far, Tim, and you talk about Florida, Kentucky, and Arkansas. Those three teams are a combined 21 and six in SEC play in the first three weeks. So they haven't just been playing SEC caliber competition. They're playing three teams right now that are three of the top five teams in the league, I would say. Yeah, well, they have a couple series coming up. And uh, actually, Mississippi State at home this weekend's big. I mean, they're all big, but yeah. Yeah, and then they have Auburn, and then they have at Missouri. 
So not that it's easy against these teams, but those are three of the lower teams in the SEC. You're not playing the, you know, the top guys. You know, Missouri's three and six and uh, 19 and nine overall, and Auburn is three and six and 21 and eight overall. So I, you know, if they can get those series, they can win a couple of those, you know, win those three series, especially if they can get a sweep in one. I think they can get back in this race in the West. Yeah, they've managed not to get swept while missing out on opportunities really to win each of the first three series. So it's uh, it's bittersweet. They got to start taking care of business in these tight one run games if they're going to be on the right side of a regional bid uh, in a couple months. Hey, let's get into the mailbag, Tim. We've got some mailbag themed questions that we threw out this week to the members there, our subscribers at BamaOnline.com. One of them we'll start with is, given the choice, uh, vacation choice, Hawaii or the Caribbean, if you can choose there? You know, I've been to Hawaii, and I can't imagine not saying Hawaii here. <laughs> the thing I liked about Hawaii, we went to two islands and spent a week on each. The thing that I liked about Hawaii, when I looked, I had whatever I wanted in Hawaii, right? If I wanted a wild, crazy time, I had that. If I wanted a slower pace, if I wanted wild beaches, I had that. If I wanted man-made beaches, you know, amongst all that, I had great weather. You know, I had fantastic food. So no matter what, I could find what I wanted. You know, you can just hop from one one island to the other rather cheap. That's what we did. So I can't imagine not seeing Hawaii in this situation. I think it depends, too, on which area of those two that we threw out there that you uh, that you choose, because, uh, as you know, I've been to Hawaii, but I've been to Oahu. I haven't been to Kauai. I haven't been to the Big Island. So I feel incomplete where it comes to Hawaii. I've got the daughter that lives out there. She's in Honolulu. So that's where we go. But I definitely want to visit some of the places I know you and the fam uh, were able to touch on on your trip, the, the Caribbean, the same way, I think, um, here most recently been to Puerto Rico. And to be honest with you, didn't really have it high on my Caribbean list, but, um, very impressed. Uh, you fly into San Juan, but then they've got areas of the Island, like Dorado beach and some other places. Uh, you feel like you're, you feel like you're in Belize or St. Martin. And I guess another part of this too, is how do you like to, go about those vacations you cruise it are you a resort guy you know done some great cruises into the caribbean haven't done hawaii some other areas uh but i've become more and more resort guy tim uh, I, I don't mind a cruise I'm, I'm good with the cruise they're fun uh but if i had the option i'd rather just fly right in and resort it i don't know about you yeah i think well with us there's six so we're not resort. Yeah. Damn thing. That's unbelievable price. It's like going to Disney for two. I Oof. Can, for six, it is literally like walking there. your ass when I see you in, in heaven. I'm like, that's hey, rough. Yeah. It is insane, those suites up there. So, what we would do, we definitely, you know, we're doing this trip to Europe here and uh, we we find a mixture of hotels and a mixture of Airbnb. It just depends yeah. because for me, like the resort, if you do a resort, I can see it, especially after White Lotus. I mean, everything's easy. So if it's me and my wife, I think that would be the easiest part. But I do tell you one of the things I love the most, and you know this, I love to plan the vacation. It's half the fun to me because um, it's how I learn about it. You, you know? got some Clark Griswold in you that way, I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Clark, I mean, <laughs> they're still making vacation movies not too long ago about my guy. So I like, because that's how I learn about the place. But um, I could see the, the White Lotus type scenario. I mean, there's, you know, the hotels aren't resorts we stay at, but they really cater just about everything you need um, in, in those aspects. But for me, when we vacation, location is, location is everything. Yeah, White Lotus show uh, has kind of, warped my uh viewpoint on certain situations like in puerto rico we're by the hotel bar we're at the pool bar right at the resort and i'm kind of taking in the people watching and as i'm sitting there i'm assigning characters right to different people sitting around the pool and the pool bar oh wow (laughs) so after about 15 minutes you know i kind of had it all white lotused out and the wife's sitting there kind of looking at me like you you got a real problem there. And, and you know, she's of, not wrong. You're kind of describing like why resorts a little harder for me. Cause you know, if you're doing that, you're at some stage, like you've been there too long. <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, there, there's people that stand out to me now at resorts that didn't before, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like white Lotus made me aware of, of these cats and these people. Uh, now, when I see them, I'm like, what what what's that guy really got going on, or what the what does that lady really got? You know what I mean? That, yeah, that's a lot, the, a lot of the places we love are places. That's how we started. You know, we used to love going to New Orleans. We haven't been as much lately, but we like going to New Orleans because of the original people and because people mm-hmm. letting their hair down. You know, I'll never forget my first trip. I was covering, it's authentic. I, yeah. I was covering a sixteen and under event. Kevin Durant was there. He played with Ty Lawson. I was in New Orleans covering a 16 and under event. We were walking down Bourbon Street and there was a grandmother. She's probably in her mid to late sixties and she was walking and she kept giggling with the girls. And I told the guys with Mark, I said, I think we're about to see her boots. And he said, <laughs> no way, man. And I mean, she looked up and boom, we all turned away like, no, but she just like dropped. She just turned it loose. She just had a good time up there. So we enjoy that. Obviously New York city is a good place for that. Hawaii was pretty good for it because you kind of saw guys, you know, like I was like wondering about the unemployment in Hawaii because yeah. every day at 1030, there was like 500 people literally at some beaches surfing. You know what I mean? They were living that. There life. are more homeless people in Honolulu per capita than anywhere in the country. I didn't realize that till I visited the first time. That's why I guess I don't know. But I, I guess, you know, if you're going to or if you find yourself in that situation, um, the, the the weather. um Geez, it's terrible to think of it from that perspective, but yeah, didn't realize it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, uh, I did not expect that. Yeah. So, um, we've got Morris C2 here in the mailbag. He says Hawaii, definitely Hawaii. And he says, so the question would be since COVID robbed us of a real trip to Maui, does the athletic department have a plan for Alabama men's basketball to participate in the Maui invitational in the near future? Now, I'm going to guess, Tim, that Alabama would love to participate in a Maui Invitational in the near future after spending its uh, previous opportunity. That was moved to Asheville, I think, that 2020 event, if you recall, uh, because they weren't able to have it abroad. But, you know, that's I think that's typically a television network and event type of decision. I know uh, Tennessee is going to be in this 2023 Maui and then I think Auburn in 2024 beyond that i'm not sure you know what what might or might not include alabama alabama just went to spain and france right so that was a good you know that was a good trip you know the one thing 
is it never really got any hype, but on SEC Network did kind of a breakdown of their time over there. You really could see that team bonded. You know, you could see the way they were acting, that they felt they were pretty comfortable, and you could see a confidence in that team. And I told several people, you know, judging by that, the team chemistry and everything that's going on, that, that it was a pretty good team. And, you know, the one thing I think Alabama fans forget is this basketball team didn't come in preseason top five. Were they even mm-hmm. preseason top 20? I think they were. Um, you know, UConn wasn't ranked in the preseason. Uh-huh. What did you say? Yeah. I think Alabama was ranked in the preseason. I'd have to check on that. But I I just UConn was not. Super high. Um, I mean, if it was a top 20, it wasn't by much. I remember there wasn't nearly the expectations, or that's the way I'm remembering it. Yeah. No, they, they, they weren't projected to be a – a number one seedish type of team uh, back in the preseason, no doubt about that. Also, the, the question that we threw out there in the mailbag: toughest home game for Alabama football in the upcoming season? Home conference or home games, man? Great year to be a uh, Tide Pride member and season ticket holder. Easier to write that check this year, certainly compared to last because oh, yeah, for sure. Texas, Tennessee, LSU, even Ole Miss, man. Nobody really talks about that Ole Miss game. But there are some games on the schedule really in all three months, September, October, November, that a uh, little bit undervalued probably. But when you look at it, Tim, it's Texas, Tennessee, or LSU. One of those three has to be the toughest, doesn't it? I'd go with Texas so early. You know, you got mm-hmm. so much change. You got new coaches. You got, I mean, you got new coordinators. You got new coaches. You've got uh, a lot of new players. I would say Texas is, I think, by far the most exciting game is going to be that Tennessee game. Um, I think more people are going to look forward to that than anything else. After last year's game was incredible. Um, you know, obviously, Tennessee lost a lot of talent as well. But, you know, obviously that game, you know, some controversy. It was is unbelievable. You know, if you're a neutral watcher or you're a Tennessee fan, it was an incredible game. You know, if you're an Alabama fan, it was absolutely brutal. It's like getting a root canal. But uh, I think Tennessee is going to be the most exciting. LSU, I think Alabama, you know, should be fine there. Of course, I said that last year. Um, but overall, I think Texas would be the toughest just simply because of the timing and then, you know, waiting on, you know, a whole year. And they probably feel a little bit like they were missed an opportunity last year when you think, you know, from their end, they probably had that. I would, if I was a Texas fan, feel like I gave the game away in some aspects. Yeah, I I think it's a reasonable assumption to go with Texas for what you said, where it comes on the schedule. You open with Middle Tennessee very next week. uh, You got Texas in town. Let me ask you this. Who are you anticipating as Texas's starting quarterback in that game? Quinn Ewers or Arch Manning? You think it'll be Quinn for a second straight go at the Crimson Tide? I don't think Arch Manning went there to be patient and not start. That's I don't I don't I think that that recruitment um uh and also, you know, you hear, you know, I think it's a you know, obviously it's a tough decision, but I think that Manning mentally probably has the edge going in for Sark. He's the younger guy. Um, He's kind of seen what Quinn Ewers can do. And I don't know this at all. I'm speculating. I'm not a Texas insider, but I've seen the discussions and everything talk about with Quinn Ewers. And, you know, that, you know, he was certainly good against Alabama in the first quarter, but a lot of the rest of the year, he wasn't particularly good. I saw the Texas fans complain on him, but then again, he has another year to, uh, 
to um, to uh, mature yeah. and all. And I just think Arch has been bred to start his whole life. I think Quinn's kind of been more of a social media kid up to this point. I mean, he went to Ohio State, transferred after you know signed the one million dollar autograph deal. Well, they claimed one million and then ended up moving, you know, transferring back to Texas, became the starter. So I bet Arch Manning. Now I might definitely be wow. it's a true freshman, but um I think mentally and everything, I think Arch, you know, went there to to start and play football. It's interesting to consider because when you think about those three teams, Texas, Tennessee, LSU, you start really at the quarterback position, just like we're talking about with Texas and Tennessee going through the transition. Uh, presumably from Hendon Hooker to Joe Milton, although like Texas, Tennessee's got a highly regarded freshman uh, and Nico, I am Oliva coming in there. So to press Joe Milton, uh, I don't think there's as much question about LSU. That's Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels trying to do something, assuming he's healthy come November and goes against Alabama back to back wins as a starting quarterback over a Nick Saban coached Alabama team. That, that hasn't happened much, if at all. I'm trying to think the quarterbacks who have won back-to-back starts against Alabama. I can't really, off the top of my head, come off up with one. I think about LSU back in it was 2010 in the first game in 2011, but I think that was Jordan Jefferson that started in 2010. I think Jared Lee played in that game, and then Jared Lee started the 2011 game in Tuscaloosa. What were, the what were you going to say? Who were the Ole Miss quarterbacks in the back-to-back year? That was uh, Bo Wallace in 14, right? And then the game in Tuscaloosa in 15, that was that was Chad Kelly. Remember he had the crazy, yeah. fluky-ass pass yeah. that went off like two helmets and you know ended up being an explosive play for a touchdown? So, that yeah. That's the craziest rap song ever by the way out of high school if anybody wants to google find it after this i would suggest you do it is uh <laughs> it is something else to hear i saw where his little brother the tight end um at old miss hit the portal he is transferring out of right. old miss so it, it's yeah it's tough to i don't know if i can come up with one you know tebow beat alabama in 08 and then lost in 09 uh just back-to-back wins in general for teams is has been very, very tough to come by in the Nick Saban era. So we look at some of the other feedback we got in the roundtable mailbag to that question. Big Bama boy says, I'm going with Texas because it's early in the year and we are still trying to figure out our replacements and we will be going against a pretty good quarterback and Sark. Also the vials, as he calls them, will be replacing both quarterbacks in no way does Saban let BK come into Tuscaloosa and win two in a row against him? There's the back-to-back thing. And, yeah, I think the way I see it, Tim, with everything Alabama has to replace, including the quarterback, I envision Alabama playing its best in November, right? I think by that point, they'll have things sort of in a row, and uh, yeah, that, that could be tough for, for LSU. Uh, Gabe Lewis here in the uh, uh oh, uh, he's wanting to know when Alabama will have a new baseball coach. Apparently, Gabe not big on Brad Bohannon. That sounds like Gabe and Tuscaloosa are twin brothers. Are they? They got the they've got to stick to them to make you joined. Like stuck on you 
Yeah. I have no idea on the baseball. I mean, that was a really good discussion. We've had a couple of threads on that issue about when do you make a move? Is it time to make a move? I have no idea. I mean, uh, you know, there's 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 detractors for Bohannon, then there's people that say he's got his hands tied behind his back because of some of the the roster situation, the scholarship situation. I mean, I have no idea when to make a move on a baseball coach, but uh, if this is the loudest I've heard it this early in the year. I, I know that much. That don't mean well, much. I mean, that's just fans, but um, I know the fan base is kind of unhappy, or at least a certain vocal part of them. Yeah, the, I think this the anticipation for this season was different going into it. And, you know, the Columbia series, losing that series at home, we can talk about the SEC, but dropping two out of three to an Ivy League school in that at that point heading into it kind of put uh, a sour face uh, on a lot of the fans and that hasn't changed after dropping three straight sec series to start conference play so look here's the reality i think for alabama baseball tim you tell me disagree agree whatever i think being regional relevant is the the reasonable expectation year in and year out make a regional I, I don't have really an annual expectation in this sec with things or with the way things are set up currently for alabama year in and year out to challenge for the west or the sec overall um could they get hot an sec tournament and win one sure uh could there be years where they they have the right group and they challenge for an sec title of course but i'm talking about year in and year out tim be regional relevant i think that's the the expectation yeah i mean you know the thing is we're talking about this pretty early again it's easy to be down on a team when they go and i and i get it i'm not i'm not criticizing anybody who's upset because they've had winnable games if you look at their box scores i pulled one up now 4-0 lead in the fifth fourth inning in arkansas ended up losing it's common theme in a couple of their sec losses very brutal kind of get away from them. They gave up five runs in the seventh and eighth. You know, lose six to nine to give up five runs in the seventh and eighth inning. So that's the kind of stuff that's gonna that's gonna bother them. But they're also playing the you know the best teams in the SEC, some of the best teams in the SEC and some of the best teams in the nation. So I think, you know, it's probably early to kind of kind of talk about this really, in my opinion it is. Because if they went off this next game, if they're eight and one in these next three series or yeah. seven and two I think maybe the discussion will be a little bit more positive. Now, if they're three and six in the next three series, you know, I, I I think we definitely know where the fan base is going with it. I don't think there's any doubt. As I said earlier, it's, you still, talk it's, it's still kind of early just to, to write. You know, we did this with basketball. I mean, we can look at basketball. If you look at basketball, I know we have a high fan base of football fans, but these other sports are different because basketball, every loss was a huge reaction of there goes this. I mean, how many times do we hear there goes the number one seed? Seriously. Yeah. And we heard that a dozen, we heard that a dozen times with the final five or six games, they ended up the number one overall seed. So uh, baseball is the same way. I think when they lose your, you know, you're down, but I think they can't. It's a long season. I mean, it's <laughs> baseball is a really long season. Yeah. I mean, the last two college world series champions are right now a combined what is it, two and sixteen? An SEC. SEC play? <laughs> I mean, that that's that's banana. that's the league. That's uh, kind of the SEC, and and softball's kind of the same way. I mean, 
it's died down a little bit now that softball went to Columbia, Missouri and won a series. Now, does that mean all the concerns have gone away? No, because you're essentially Montana Fouts and little else when it comes to the, the circle right now, as far as SEC caliber uh, pitching. And so, um, but you've got South Carolina coming to Tuscaloosa this weekend. That's another series Alabama should win. We talked about this on the last podcast. That was the stretch coming up with Missouri, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Auburn. You know, it, it, it's it's a winnable situation moving forward for Patrick Murphy's team. So we'll see how it goes for baseball. I'll tell you this. They, there were years, you can remember this, when we didn't have these discussions on, on our message board. So we can say at least now there's more ba- baseball fans, basketball fans, for certain softball fans than, than, than is normal. You know, which usually been, I don't know how many times I've heard basketball is just to get me to spring practice. You mean, you know, you've heard it a lot, too, on the message boards. But there's the, the by the reaction, I think the fan base is very passionate about those three sports. I know they are about softball and I feel they, you know, a, a, a solid minority are getting that way about uh, baseball, but it's good to see just so much discussion about it, honestly. Yeah, th- no doubt. It's, uh, it means it, it matters and, uh, as it should for, for Alabama fans. Well, Tim, I think that's just about it in the round table mailbag. Uh, we did have one more response to the huh. toughest game, right? But, uh, well, well, I think, it was that uh, the game at Auburn, but I, I think it was it was missed in translation that we were talking uh-huh. specifically about would, home games. But any be, road trip at Auburn's not easy. No, uh, that's going to be a tough game. I mean, that's a good call there. There's going to yeah. be, um, you know, that's going to be uh, Hugh Freeze's first game there. I mean, he knows he knows uh, if anybody knows what beating Alabama means for a coach. It's you freeze. <laughs> Auburn Auburn times out the firings with uh, Alabama coming to town the next season. I'm convinced of it, Tim. I mean, when you go back and you look at these coaching changes at Auburn since Nick Saban's been at Alabama, it's almost to a T pretty much that the new coach comes in with Alabama coming to Auburn that season. It's set up that way. That's, That's interesting. I believe you're right, though. It sure seems that way. Yeah. I mean, um, I guess you had, uh, I guess you, you had, uh, well, you had, you had the, the, the change from, uh, Chiz, Chiz came in and in Oh nine, and that was still a hell of a close game down there. Right. Alabama won that game by like five on the late touchdown pass, uh, to Roy Upchurch. But then, uh, Gus comes in and I want to say, that's 2013. That ends up being the kick six game. So, yeah, it seems like it's kind of worked out that way in the past. We'll see how it works for Hugh Freeze in 2023. Definitely here for it. I'm here excited. for it. Here for all of it at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't subscribed already, we hope you'll do so. Join us on the roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. Anything else, Tim, before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. That's it. The NBA. The NBA. NBA. Basketball, I'm telling you, every single night in the National Basketball Association, it's playoff implications. Every single night in multiple games. And I'll tell you this before we go. Sunday, I saw the most insane stuff ever. I saw the Grizzlies 
I mean, I saw the T-Wolves lose as a 19-and-a-half point favorite, which I think was the highest ever. I think I saw a stat saying it was the biggest underdog to lose at home in a very, very long time. So it's like 2000 and I can't remember, 2003. I know the Bulls were in there, so just a massive upset. And that same day, you had another upset where um, – Trying to think who it was. The Kings lost his 17-point favorites at home versus the Spurs. Now, these are two teams fighting for playoffs, losing to teams who are tanking as almost, you know, 15 to 20-point favorites. So how can you not love it? That's what we, uh, among the many fine attributes and qualities you offer to this podcast, I think NBA correspondent might be right there at the top of the list, Tim. No one keeps us... Keeps us informed on the league humbly like you do. I got special traits. <laughs> Say that humbly. Oh, goodness. All right. That's going to do it. For the, to it. See you guys yeah. on the round table. Yeah, definitely. See you on the round table. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online Podcast, even after this one, we still hope you will consider doing so. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us anywhere you consume podcasts. It's the Bama Online Podcast. If you'd leave us a rating and a review, we would appreciate that as well. For Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you again. Until next time, so long, everybody.